0: Human history, like a river, will keep moving forward with moments of both calm waters and huge
1: waves. We have before us the opportunity to forge a new world order. The problem with modern-day's unipolarity is precisely that the West is leading. Ukraine down the primrose path we don't have enough tanks we don't have enough vessels we don't have enough planes to bring chip productions here to the US this is multipolarity charting the rise of the new multipolar world order Even as events in Israel dominate the airwaves and social media, very few commentators are looking at the likely social, political, and economic consequences this crisis might have on the West, on the US, and on Europe. So in this week's special episode, we'll be looking at just that. First, on politics in the US. Second, on the consequences for politics in Europe. And finally, on the geoeconomic consequences of the crisis in the Middle East. Premium subscribers will have access to analysis that spans the conflict under the surface of the U.S. political class, the social and political dangers for Europe, financial markets, and economic forecasts for a worst-case scenario if the Israel conflict escalates. You can subscribe on our Patreon account, but for now, enjoy this free preview. So the Israel crisis, or the
0: war in Gaza, or whatever we want to call it, is likely, I think, and I think you agree, to have far more profound effects than, for example, the Ukraine conflict. And the the real underlying reason for that is because the Israel-Palestine question is much more contentious than the Ukraine question ever was. Both conflicts are extremely important from a geopolitical point of view. They're different. There's obviously vast differences between them. But both are extremely important from a geopolitical point of view. But that important, importance wasn't necessarily reflected in how they were received politically. If we kind of rewind back to the time when the Ukraine war broke out, I think the average person didn't really know a great deal about it. I don't think they knew a great deal about the region. I think they were catching up and there weren't any really preformed opinions. And the messaging on it from the media to the politicians and so on was very unified. We have not seen that in the case of the Israel-Palestine conflict. This has picked a scab that's been there for a long time in Western countries. It's a very, very, very divided issue in Western countries. And it's, it's something that's much discussed, much debated. Sometimes even it's, it, it seems to me to be, to be given a, 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 an unusually large amount of energy, given the situation that it is. But in terms of America... I think that this is going to have some very, very interesting effects. Obviously, we're we're nearly entering the election year. I think we're almost in the election year now. I think it starts basically in November, but they're already kind of gearing up. the The, the yank cord on the uh, lawnmower has already been tugged. As far as I can see, there's plenty of rhetoric shooting around. Um, now, the election itself isn't particularly contested among the primary candidates. Um, unless something very unusual happens, which it could, Joe Biden will presumably be running again. Although there are some rumors that he might get, he might get uh, moved to to center left stage and be replaced, possibly with Gavin Newsom, who's the governor of California and who is uh, Nancy Pelosi's nephew. That's a complete coincidence, by the way, that he's governor of California and he's Nancy Pelosi's nephew. But. Um, there is a there is a rumor that that might take place, but I think the baseline scenario is still that Biden runs. He would have to make the decision on his own were he not to run. It almost seems certain that Trump will be the will be the nominee given the polls on the Republican side. So really the interesting impact that that the israel- Palestine conflict is going to have is on the actual election itself is on whether Trump or Biden or whoever replaces Biden would get elected. I guess the first thing to say is that America is substantially more unified, at least at the time of recording, on the Israel-Palestine issue than are the European countries, and that includes the UK, but we can talk about that later. Most people in America do support Israel. That is not actually clearly the case in many European countries, but it is currently the case in the United States. That said, support for Israel does break along party lines. Especially when it comes to the level of, shall we say, aggressivity of that support. So, if you look at the polls from America, you see, you see very stark differences between kind of moral or emotional support or general kitchen table politics support and sending weapons, definitely in getting involved in a regional war. So I think we can say that, so we can go down and we can break down the kind of overall support first, and then we can, I'll, I'll say one or two things about the the factional groups that I think will drive a lot of this. So as I said, broad support seems to be there for Israel. But when looking at a poll here that when asked, when uh, should the US send weapons and supplies to Israel, it's pretty divided. Uh, the Republicans say yes, 5743, not that definitive uh independents say no 5545 and democrats say no 5347 so the basic message there is unless you're a republican you don't really think we sh- America should be getting involved directly in this conflict by sending weapons now America already is sending weapons they just last week sent to air defense systems when you look over the polling as i said although you do see this broad based support for israel you see a lot of skepticism about getting involved in a war and that runs from everything from the poll I just read out on weapons to actually getting involved in a regional conflict. And the other thing that stands out is that is that there's a there's a, a large-scale perception among the American population that this will lead to a, a wider war. So just to give some numbers on that, YouGov, The Economist and YouGov polled Americans, Will Israel? will the Israeli war lead to a wider war? And total 22% said very likely... said fairly likely, so 62% of voters think that this conflict will lead to a wider war, and then you step back, and as I said, there isn't a majority support to even provide weapons. So that's the first point, that Americans are probably correctly perceiving that this will lead to some sort of a wider war, and American involvement, maybe not direct involvement, but at very least indirect involvement, will increase. And people don't seem very in favor of that. So that's the first thing. That will be the kind of general overview of the situation.
1: The first thing I should say is listeners should know that as a Briton, I I, I try to avoid American domestic politics as much as I can, because it's it's far too many Britons, in my view, comment on this and, and, and comment from a position of ignorance and end up looking stupid. So this is something that I try to avoid doing. Although I still look stupid in plenty of in plenty of cases, I'm sure. But you know, one thing I've noticed about this, Philip, is that there's at present, at least, an extraordinary amount of discipline among the American political class. At least, you do have some very prominent voices like Tucker Carlson, the former Fox News presenter and now and, and, and now independent news commentator. Um, and, and people equivalent to that on the left, like Glenn Greenwald, who say that of course Israel has a right to defend itself and take whichever you know path it chooses, but America doesn't have an obligation to to support whatever Israel wants to do. But apart from those people who are who are relatively fringe, they're certainly not in the in the kind of the, the center of the U.S. political class. It seems to me that there's a great deal of discipline at the moment. In terms of supporting Israel, supporting Israel's efforts to respond to the Hamas attack in whichever way it wants, and there are very few voices, or, or none at all, in fact, exercising caution on that. I, I mean, even even people within the political class who, you know, called for caution when it came to the response of the Ukra- you know to the Ukraine crisis, for example, are fully behind any US support for Israel. However, I know you've spoken in the past uh, certainly privately and and I think on the podcast as well that since the Obama administration the the left wing of the Democrat party has been assiduously cultivated by the by the DNC. And it is in kind of the ascendancy now, perhaps not, it's perhaps not supreme, but certainly it's a bigger faction than it was, say, 15 years ago. And those kind of, that progressive liberal wing of the Democrat Party tends to be far less in favor of full-throated support for Israel. And they certainly take the plight of the Palestinian people (laughs) it's far more European in its outlook, I would say, in, in terms of that, where the left in Europe is is actually quite pro-Palestine in general, and we'll get onto that later. But in the States, perhaps the Democrat Party itself is not quite as unified as as the overall discipline in the political system in America now would tend to suggest. Is that something that you'd agree
0: with? Yeah, I think this is where the... the battle lines are really going to be drawn. Don't doubt, you know, what I alluded to before, that the support for a wider war isn't very high here and that that could in- impact the election in and of itself. But I think the real impact here is going to be on the on the Democratic Party base, effectively. So we can take that, this from... I, I got two polls here, which I think tell the the two the gradations of difference here. So when asked, how much do you sympathize with the Palestinian people? of Americans said a lot. Okay. So those are probably liberal types. Mostly I would say people who vote for the Democrats and they have a kind of a humanitarian vision of this. They see the awful images on the television and 28% of them currently say I have a lot of sympathy for those people. More importantly than that, when asked, um, were there sympathies in the conflict with Israel or Palestine? 10% 10% of people in America say that they their sympathy is with Palestine. And between 18 and 29, 18%, 1 in 5. So 1 in 10 sympathize with the Palestinians, actually side with them, I would read this poll as, as meaning, as in they're pro-Palestine, and about a fifth of of young people Now, you may say, okay, well, that's only 10% or 20% or 18% of young people. Yeah, but I would say this is disproportionately the Democratic Party base. So let's say that 25% of Americans constitute the hard block of support for Democrats, unwavering, won't, won't just come out and vote, but will also take part in activism, get out the vote, work for the campaigns and so on. I'd say that whole ten percent or or close to that whole ten percent is involved in that in that really hardcore base. You see this prior to the war, all the polls that I've been talking about now have come out after the the terrible events that we saw in Israel, the Hamas attack on on Israeli army and on the citizens there. But I think that kind of covers over because that's led to a kind of outpouring of support, it 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 covers over some of the dynamics that have taken place in the Democrat Party. A Gallup poll that's actually been doing the rounds quite a bit recently shows that the Democrats, it's a net sympathy poll. So it shows w- whether there's net sympathy for Palestine or Israel in general. And this is not Israel versus Palestine. This is net sympathy for Israel in the Middle East situation by party ID. So between about 2001 and 2016 or so, around the time of the Trump election, there was consistent net positive support of anywhere between about 25 and 35%. After 2016, that just completely tanked. By 2023, there was net negative support for Israel in the region. Now, why is that? Is some of it due to the Trump election and him being close to Israel? Maybe. But even when Biden gets back in in 2020, it, it, it's at about 5% net positive at that point, and it falls by 2023 to net negative 11 so something has happened there, and I don't think it's just explained by the Trump phenomenon, that's really switched Democrat Party thinking on it. So even the numbers that I'm reading out, I think, need to be taken with a grain of salt. So what does it mean? It, it means that, that Biden's probably going to be fighting a large and vocal part of his base if this conflict goes on and on, which it looks like it will. Last thing I saw that the Israeli Defense Forces were saying it would take at least three months to close to to clear the Gaza Strip. And that's abstracting from any attack by Hezbollah in the North or any wider regional conflict. This thing isn't going to be over in a week. There's no doubt about that. And as that rolls on and we come up closer to the election, the base, the Democrat Party base, is going to get increasingly vocal about this. And that's going to be very, very hard for Biden because okay, none of those people are going to switch their allegiance to the Republicans who will presumably be even more pro-Israel, but they won't be as enthusiastic. And in order to get people out for vote and get the activists going and everything like that, you need to get people to be enthusiastic. So I think that's the place to watch in American politics for the real uh, impact of this war.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it sounds to me a little bit that Biden might be in a kind of damned if he does, damned if he don't, doesn't moment. Because if he tries to rein in Israel, either <clears throat> through choice or through necessity, because after all the support that's been poured into Ukraine, they're just it aren't the 155 millimeter shells to support a, a ground invasion of Gaza? There's that possibility as well. But even if he does so by choice, even if he counsels uh, Israel to not undertake a ground invasion of the Gaza Strip, any such ground invasion probably not going to start before this podcast is published. Any war like this is going to require a, the, the the gathering and then positioning of a great deal of materiel. Israel is a conscript army. It is not used, as we, as we spoke about on our last podcast, it's not used to to undertaking this kind of high-intensity urban warfare. So individual uh, soldiers will need, or individual units will need refresher courses. The logistics and the planning needs to be worked out. It's not something that they could just dive into right away. Then they need to shape the battlefield, which they are doing at the moment with airstrikes and uh, the use of penetrating bombs and the like. So by the time it starts, if it's going to take three months at the least, then we're into U.S. primary season. The Iowa caucus, which is always the first, is uh, in the middle of January, like January the 15th, something like that. I'm I'm not being precise here, but between that and the middle of April, you're going to have New Hampshire, which is always a, a crucial primary and you're also going to have places like California and New York and Florida and 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 you know these are big states for the Democrats. This is going to be very important. Sorry for the Republicans and the Democrats. It's going to be, you know, dominating the political news. Where you know you've got these caucuses. It's going to be the primary political news. And during this process, if things are going badly for the Israelis, if Biden is trying to cool their heels. If he can't provide the support either through through choice because of his his own base, or because of necessity, as I mentioned before, that they simply don't have the munitions, then the Republican candidates are just going to hammer him. I mean, it's often the case that in primary elections, especially Republican ones, but I guess in Democrat ones as well, bellicosity on the uh, debate podium is a and on the stump as well is an important factor who are we going to bomb like who are we going to be tough with can i look putin in the eyes and 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 be tough with him can we take a tough stance on iran and their nuclear program these are commonplace issues and i think that dealing with hamas and the enemies of freedom and liberty if this israel conflict is still rumbling on which by next april that, that would be like six months it's well within the the realms of possibility that Israel hasn't completed its Gaza operation in six months. If it's still rumbling on, the news could be dominated by hawkish views that Biden then has to answer as a question. Meantime, his own party is cautioning, uh, or or a big chunk of his base is uh, really against that hawkish position because of the humanitarian effects and because of their desire to move towards a two-state solution. So, it, you know, it really seems like he could be damned if he does or damned if he doesn't.
0: Yeah. And I think the um, phenomenon that you're describing, the the Republicans really hammering him, saying that he's not being tough enough or he's not handling it well or whatever, I think that'll actually play into the dynamic that I was talking about. Um, if you ever watch kind of liberal or progressive media or you look at media, um, Uh, media from that side, or you watch some of their, you know, podcast, listen to their podcasts or watch their shows or whatever, they often react to what Republicans say. And if this becomes a kind of celebrity cause for the Republicans, which it probably will, then the, it'll, it'll begin to be associated with the Republicans and the base that's already inclined toward, I'm not saying they're fully inclined toward the Palestinian side of the conflict, but it's, you know, it's lopsided. They'll, they'll react to that as well. And they'll start seeing it as a kind of Republican talking point and and react against it. That'll be my feeling.
1: Yeah. And I mean, just one last thing on this. Biden started his presidency with a debacle in Kabul and the withdrawal from Afghanistan. By the time the primaries, the Republican primaries roll around at the back end of winter and the beginning of spring next year, the Ukraine war might not necessarily be going as well, or it might be looking like a long war or the Russians might be catching the strategic um, momentum, uh, and at the same time, if Israel is rumbling on, it's very possible that Biden can be might be tarred and feathered on a nightly basis by the Republican candidates, and that that sets the talking point. And you could have a presidency who's on, on, on the back foot in terms of foreign policy in the same way that Lyndon Baines Johnson was, in the same way that Jimmy Carter was, which would not be good for his prospects going into the autumn election. Thank you for listening to the teaser version of this premium
0: episode. And If you're a premium subscriber, you'll already be able to listen to it on Patreon or on your private podcast RSS feed. If you're not, you can get it by joining us on Patreon. Search Multipolarity and sign up for the $5 a month tier. You can cancel any time. And now the show continues.